This podcast is recorded and produced on Gadigal land as well as other parts of Australia. In the spirit of reconciliation, Women's Agenda acknowledges the traditional custodians of country nationwide and their connections to land, waters and community. We pay our respects to Elders past and present and recognise that sovereignty was never ceded, always was and always will be Aboriginal land. You're listening to Fertility Unfiltered, a Women's Agenda special podcast series supported by Jenea Fertility. Through this series, we aim to break down common misconceptions, shatter stigmas and provide a platform for those whose voices have been silenced. We'll challenge society's limited understanding of fertility, amplifying stories that celebrate the beauty of diverse paths to parenthood. I'm your host, Tyler Lambert. The average household in Australia spends over $12,000 on children in a year with everything from childcare to nappies, safety car seats and groceries all adding up. Fertility treatments and hospital costs for going through labour can range anywhere from a few thousand to tens of thousands depending on the clinic and care required. With all the highs and lows that come with having a baby, money can make things worse or better. So in this episode, we're going to look at four key things to consider when budgeting to start a family, including how to save or pay for fertility treatments, interest-free loan options, private health insurance, as well as an emergency fund for your baby. Before we start, I want to note that this episode and series does not offer financial advice and the conversations should be used for informational purposes only. I'm Tyler Lambert, and I've been talking to specialists at world-leading fertility clinic, Jenea Fertility, to unpack the different steps you can take to achieve the dream of giving birth. Today, we're joined by Shivani Gopal, a finance expert, entrepreneur, and parent. Shivani says there are a lot of unexpected curveballs that can hit during fertility treatments, labor, and post-pregnancy. That's why it's critical to have some financial safeguards in place. So when it comes to fertility treatment, it's so important that you have contingency plans in place because you may think that you're only going to go through one cycle. Uh, But I've spoken to so many women who've gone through more than one cycle, certainly at least three, and then they've thought about going again and again. I have a couple of friends who've been going through IVF for the last three years. And so it's so important that you plan out, am I going to end up spending $15,000 a year every year for three years? What am I prepared to spend? And having those open and honest conversations with either yourself or yourself and your partner, if there's someone else involved, is really important. So at what point do you draw the line? Are you happy to continually go? And what resources will you pull on in order to make that happen? Having these conversations early means that you're actually taking away a lot of the strain from the relationship. It means that if one person needs to make additional mortgage repayments or rent repayments, they're able to do so. There's a lot less conflict in your personal relationship. It means if you're not going overseas, if you're not dining out as much as you used to, you are both on the same path and you're both mentally aligned because something's got to give. Uh, There's only so much money to go around when it comes to incomes money is finite and you need to find a way to make that stretch for you. And so protecting yourself in advance rather than just carrying on cycle after cycle is so important, not just for your finances, but also emotionally. It takes a really big emotional toll. The other thing as well is if you plan in advance, again, then that's a really nice stopgap for you because you might decide I'm going to plan in advance and I'm going to save $15,000. When that pot of money runs out, I'm going to stop there. Or I'm going to stop, refresh, take another year and go again. But if you start planning around that, that is a really strong contingency plan, but also making sure that you're putting away a little bit of extra money every week, every fortnight, every month in order to make that happen. 
If thinking about money brings up a bit of anxiety or stress, Shivani suggests changing perspective. Reframing what money is can change how you approach, plan, and prepare for IVF or other fertility treatments. So the thing about financial goals and obligations are what we need to be really clear about is what is actually money and what is money's actual purpose? And I think when we take a step back, we start to see that, well, money is actually a vehicle to help us fulfill the life of our dreams. And I think that's a really important context to have because when you think about things in that way, you start to think about money very differently instead of sort of saying, well, you know, can I really afford IVF or can I afford to have a child when I have bills to pay and I've got rent to pay and maybe, you know, my partner and I want to go on a holiday, we've got all of these different things, you actually start to reframe and you say, well, if this is a really important goal for me, how am I going to restructure some of my other goals to make that happen? So it's really important just as you do with anything, you know, planning your work, for example, planning your goals for your new year. When you plan your financial goals, you prioritize them and you have to think about how big of a priority is IVF for me and having children. And if that is the case, then that needs to be higher up on the rudder when it comes to you saving. And then when you do that, the next thing that you've got to do, if you want to get to where you want to go, you need to know how far you're heading. You need to visualize that outcome. It's really interesting how money is such a psychological thing. And I think if we you know, complicate money in terms of dollars and cents, we tend to get overwhelmed around this sort of stuff. But if we think about money as a psychological thing, it starts to make a hell of a lot more sense. So if I know where I'm going, if I know how much it's going to cost me, then how can I break that down into really nice bite-sized pieces? So we know that you know, for an IVF cycle, for example, it, it is around $10,000 per cycle. Your out-of-pocket of that is around $5,500. So how many cycles do you think you're going to go through? So if you're going to be spending $15,000 across three cycles, then what is the best, most effective way for you to save that over a 12-month period or a 24-month period? Preparedness here is the goal. When preparing to start fertility treatments or try for a baby, a surefire way of funding the cost is to automate how you save. Doing this can ensure you meet the financial goal without even having to think about it. For example, if you need money to fund fertility treatments, setting up auto transfer payments every time you get paid will mean money is set aside regularly to help achieve that. So do you get paid monthly? or fortnightly, or if you're one of the lucky ones, do you get paid weekly? And then if you do, you allocate your budget around that and you put a small piece of that pie away every week, every fortnight or every month till you get to your target goal. You put it into a high interest bearing account, but not something that locks you away so it keeps your options open. And before you know it, you're able to get there and you're able to start planning and making appointments that's consistent with your timeline. Without a budget or financial plan, costs can quickly creep up and leave people, especially women, with a greater burden. Earlier in this series, we heard from mum Katrina, who made a huge financial sacrifice by dipping into a superannuation to fund IVF. We had to borrow a little bit of money off my mother and me and my husband are both on low paying wages and we found we had to go private for the experience and so we ended up, I took out my super twice for the IVF journey, otherwise we wouldn't have been able to do it and obviously with like the cost of living at the back in the back of my mind if we want to do it again we'd have to touch my husband's super I think people that don't have a lot of money and do want this dream to come true it'd be very hard on on them financially if we did want another child that would what would be stopping us from doing it again like the, I'd go back for the journey now knowing what I know now but um 
the financial side it would be what would stop us because you've got to pay for the consultations but also like the drugs there's one chemist you've got to either order it pay for delivery or, or there's a chemist that you go get it from like you can't just get it from any chemist you have to get it from a special <clears throat> chemist which is also takes money like to get it like pre-egg collection then after egg collection there's different medication and it's not it all costs money especially like if you want if you're not ready to have children but you want to freeze your eggs it costs money to keep them in the like in the freezer and there are many concerns over women withdrawing money from already low superannuation funds and facing increased risks of financial instability later in life if you're at a point where waiting too much longer will mean missing out on having a biological child Shivani says an interest-free loan may be something to consider. I think it's always really important to be money-wise around this. Certainly, we've just talked about the fact that you should start planning in advance and you should start saving in advance. But what if this has just creeped up on you? What if you've just woken up one day with an epiphany and a strong yearning for children and you absolutely must do this now? Well, in that case, there are some options available to you. And, and one of those is to actually finance it. And one of the quite popular ways to finance it, in fact, if you could ever finance something at zero interest, I'd always ask you to go down that route because you're not using your own lump sums, you're using someone else's lump sum, and it's actually quite hard for you to save your own chunk of money, but it's easy to bite things off in small pieces. So zip money is an option, and they certainly work with different IVF organizations where you can actually go and you can actually apply for a loan. And the reason I like zip money is because it's a low cost to entry. It's only around $100 to get access to a loan. And it's actually interest-free for 12 or 24 months, depending on your term. They will catch you out if you make a late payment, and that's where they will start making some of their money and you'll start losing some of yours. But if you think that you've got a reasonably sized loan and something that you can afford to pay, then it's a really equitable strategy for you to not take away from your lump sums or if you don't have one and actually move in. Another financial safeguard when trying to conceive is private health insurance. Insurance often, again, like money, is either a dirty word or a confusing word. And it's something that we often think, oh, you know, now I've got to read through a whole PDF or policy document in order to understand it. Again, let's simplify what insurance does. Insurance simply mitigates your risk. And what is really wise to do for yourself, just as much as you would do it for your work, your business or anyone else, is to transfer as much risk away from yourself and onto someone else that is secure and able to take on that risk is good for it, essentially. So your health insurance could be one of those risk mitigation strategies, which means that if you are going through IVF and you have some in-hospital expenses, for example, you need to be in a hospital and that hospital day rate is $2,000, then those are the sorts of things that your private health cover can actually fund. Now, it's not all straight in that way. You will still need to pay your private health insurance fees. And, you know, for a woman who is, you know, over the age of 31 and, you know, earning, you know, over $100,000, for example, she's probably looking at spending around $250 a month on private health cover. So it's certainly not cheap. But at the same time, you will get some uh, some funds back through your in-hospital coverage. And that's a clear distinction. Anything that is in-hospital, you should be covered for. Anything that is out-hospital, so outpatients, for example, anything that you do in a clinic, you're not actually covered for. And then there are other things you've got to plan for, like excesses, which are usually between five and $750. But comparatively, these sums of money are generally quite easy to come up with, given a little bit of notice and a little bit of planning, versus 5000 for example, in one hit. So when it comes to private health insurance and your overall financial strategy, a couple of things that you want to do is try to maximise your 
position. And some of the ways that you can do that is actually having private health insurance like we talked about, but also having other styles of insurance policies. And in Australia, we call that trauma insurance or critical illness insurance. And that also means that, you know, if things go awry, if things go wrong for you, certainly personally for me, it did. I was diagnosed with endometriosis and I needed surgery for that. I was given a lump sum payment because it was covered within my policy. So there are additional things that you can do to maximize your financial situation by covering off your risks. And and what you can also do is be really policy wise and navigate your IVF journey in line with that. So what do I mean by being policy wise? If you know that your policy will only cover you for in-hospital expenses, how much of your services and your treatment and your transfers can you get done in hospital? The more that you do in hospital, the more that you're actually covered for. If you do things that are in clinic, remember, you're not going to be covered for that. So that's going to be something that you would need to fund on your own. Something to keep in mind with private health insurance is the waiting period to claim on benefits. Factoring this in early on when planning for a baby can help save time and unnecessary stress later. So typically with a waiting period, you've got a 12-month waiting period for any pre-existing conditions. But luckily, most insurance policies will only have a two-month waiting period for reproductive services like IVF. So as long as you're planning in advance, you take out that policy two months before you plan on going down this journey you're actually going to be fine. The other thing you've got to think about when it comes to being policy-wise and mitigating expenses is that 12-month waiting period if you haven't had a policy before or you're not carrying over an existing policy because IVF leads to something, we hope, right? Fingers crossed. And we hope it leads to a baby. And then when it does lead to a baby, you want to have some options available to you. Do you want to go with the public system or the private system? If you want to go with the private system, there is going to be a 12-month waiting period associated with that. So if you plan in advance long enough, then you're going to find you're not paying any hospital fees whatsoever. A lot of your anaesthetist cover is also covered for you, which is things like if you choose to take an epidural, if you end up having a C-section, all of those things can actually be covered and managed for you if you are planning in advance and policy-wise. Financial planning in advance can also help protect you and the journey ahead once the baby is born. Raising children can come with lots of unexpected surprises. And while it's almost impossible to predict everything that will happen, Shivani says putting in safeguards around finances, insurance and mental health can be critical. So I'm a mother of two and I've gone through my own journey financially, emotionally um, and maternally uh, when it comes to bringing little humans in the world. And the first thing that I'd like to say is no matter how much you prepare for motherhood or parenthood, uh, I think there is nothing that can really prepare you for the curveballs that you get and the beautiful love injection that you get, but also the emotional upheaval and uncertainty that comes your way. And the best piece of advice that I have in order to work through that is to try and plan the things that will stress you out most and identify those elements and plan for it in advance. I think emotionally it's really hard to be prepared, but it's really good to have a spreadsheet, for example, I certainly did, of all the various things that I needed to purchase in order to be baby ready. And the way that I became baby ready, because we've talked a lot about saving in advance, we've talked a lot about chunking those savings in advance, but also money has a time and a place. And if you spend money on something too early before you need it, what you're losing is the opportunity cost of that money. And that is, could I have invested that money elsewhere and earned a dollar on that money in the meantime? Could I have put that money elsewhere and saved additional money? Could I have taken up another opportunity, whether that's buying a house, securing a better rental for myself or whatever that may be? So, 
what you don't want to do is to just load and nest overly by buying everything that you need for your child in the first one year of life. What I would do instead, and certainly what I did, uh, was I had a spreadsheet of everything that I needed, and I collected that from my brain's trust of fellow mothers. And I broke everything up into the first zero to three months, three to six months, and then you know six to 12 months, and then plus. And so even when it came to clothes, I would only buy clothes in three monthly increments. And it meant that I wasn't overspending. It meant that I wasn't hypothesizing what I thought my baby would need and actually end up buying a whole bunch of stuff that wasn't necessary. I had a better idea of size. I had a better idea of temperament and temperature as well, you know, the sort of seasons that we have. Um, and that was really, really helpful because it meant that I wasn't spending, you know, tens of thousands of dollars. And you, you very, really can spend, you know, anywhere between five to $30,000 preparing for a new baby to come into your life. You know, that's your cot. That could be your rocking chair if you're that way inclined. You know, all of the, the sheets and mattress protectors, you know, not just your nappies and your bottles and your sterilizers and all that sort of stuff. So I think if you buy things at the right time, you are less likely to overspend. So do it in increments. And also do as much as you can to, you know, use the shared economy. Uh, you know, what can you be handed down? I, I wanted to have an experience where I would go to my mother's once a month and we would stay over for the weekend. But to do that, that meant we needed two cots. But I had a girlfriend who was actually having her toddler grow out of a cot. And so I actually got a cot for free. It was fantastic. And so I'm able to do that without having to spend hundreds of dollars on a secondary cot, which would be otherwise you know, a, a luxury item. So I think it's so it's so beneficial to plan in advance in that way, understand the secondhand economy, understand the shared economy, buy things in bite-sized pieces, spend in bite-sized pieces. Before we wrap up today, there's one final safeguard that might end up saving you in the long run, an emergency fund for your baby. Just for your baby as well, we'll talk about having an emergency fund for yourself. You need to have an emergency fund for your baby as well in case there are additional doctor's fees, you know, pediatrician fees, um, hospital fees. I, I know there are many parents um, who've, you know, rushed off to hospital with, you know, with fevers and so forth. And if that means that you're taking time off work, if that means that you're not being paid for that time off work, you want and need to have some financial flexibility around that as well. So your emergency fund when your child comes into the world isn't just due to your washing machine breaking down, having a car accident. It's also to do with you and your family. And I would advise for you to always think about how can I self-fund taking up to a month off work? And the other side of that is the childcare element that comes into play where your child does go into childcare and you end up spending money on childcare, but you don't get that money back if your child is sick. And there's only, you know, 10 odd days of sick days that you would actually get a year that's funded by your employer. So it's really wise to start planning this stuff in advance. If you don't need it, fantastic, but it will take away some of that stress. Whether you're embarking on fertility treatments or getting ready for the first year of parenthood, setting financial goals, being disciplined and preparing early will all help make the journey a little less bumpy. You don't want to just keep bleeding mindlessly and then you look back and you go, I've spent $50,000 on this and now I'm so behind. Or you spent $50,000 and you do have your child, but you're so behind and you're feeling really stressed and you're sitting there on your rocking chair and you're rocking back and forth and you're thinking, how do I pay next month's mortgage or you know all of that sort of stuff. And I think these are things that need to be managed by just thinking about it in advance, planning for it in advance and having your support circle around you. There's something that I do quite a lot, actually. You know, I said to my husband before we even had Hunter, my firstborn, I said, look, I think that I'm a very big candidate 
if I should frame it that way, a postpartum depression. You know, I'm a control freak. I project manage everything in my life. I've been told you can't project manage a baby. <laughs> and, uh, and I think this is going to be challenging and I need you to be on the lookout for me. And so, you know, just flagging some of this stuff with people who know you really well and can pick you up is so important. Um, that did actually happen to me as well, Tala. I was breastfeeding uh, Hunty and I think it was 3 a.m. in the morning. I sent Ash an SOS message and I said, I am very scared for myself and for Hunter right now and I'm in a really dark place and I don't want to talk about it. I'm so ash- I'm so ashamed. I, the feeling is coming back now. Um, but I need you to get me help. Um, I don't want you to respond to this message. Just get it done. Just help me. I, I can't talk to you about it. And the next morning he woke up, saw that message, went, oh, shit, I've got to help Shiv out. And I had, you know, three appointments that afternoon booked for me. Um, and I was taken into a cocoon of care. No one knows what this journey of trying for a baby or becoming a parent will bring, but every step you take to create that cocoon of care around you can make a life-changing difference. So whether you're considering fertility treatments at Jenea Fertility or trying to prepare for the first year of caring for a baby, a bit of early preparation, financial planning, and being money-wise goes a long way. Thank you to our guests, Eladex founder Shivani Gopal, and proud mum, Katrina. You can listen back to episodes in this series by subscribing to Fertility Unfiltered, which is on all listening platforms and our website. In our final episode, we're taking a closer look at how to navigate pregnancy loss. I'm Tyler Lambert. I'll see you next time. Mm-hmm.